Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey, Callahan, don't look so puked out. Better luck next time, fool. (laughs) Listen, punk, to me you're nothing but do you understand? And a lot of things can happen to It can be scraped up with a shovel off the ground, it can dry up and blow away in the wind, or it can be stepped on and squashed. So take my advice, be careful with it, dog. You're a class act, Callahan. A real class act. Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off, you could ask yourself the question, do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hi, this is Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers, and you are rocking with nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, hey, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run to your com- There you go. I got off to a bad start already. Run to your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to run to our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, and check out our events page. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. As a matter of fact, you know what? Cedric, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing. You're doing. You know what? Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers gave a really cool, casual, kind of groovy, hey, this is Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers, and you're rocking yeah. with Nostalgic Radio. Well, he knows, that's pretty cool. He huh? knows how you roll. You know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But... The Doobie Brothers will be in concert this weekend, this Sunday, at Ruth Eckert Hall. 
we are really looking forward to that. Hopefully, with a little luck, uh, we'll get to see those guys. So, actually, they're starting their tour, I think, in Florida. So, I think on the 2nd, they will be in Palm Beach. The 3rd, they're going to be in Key West. And on the 4th, they'll be here in our own backyard, downtown Clearwater. Actually, wow. not even downtown Clearwater, but out there off McMullen Booth Road at Ruth Eckert Hall. So, that's exciting. The Doobie Brothers, that's a cool band. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, as long as they've been around, you know, they still have two of the founding members, you know, um, Tom Johnson and Pat Simmons. And uh, John McPhee, he was with other bands, but he joined them, I think, yeah, in like 1979, yeah. 80, somewhere in there. Super guitarist, super guitarist. So he's with them. And then, of course, they have the other guys. That, it's funny how uh, they, they tend to rotate. But, hey, I want everybody to stay tuned to Nostalgic Radio and Cars a little bit later because we have a fascinating guest coming on who can tell us a lot about the Doobie Brothers. Okay, let's see what else we got going on. This weekend we have... Hey, can you get me any Doobie Brothers CDs? Uh, you never know. Bite, bite. Oh, you never wow. know. <laughs> but uh, this weekend we got, uh, let's see, up in Sumter County, Webster, we have Big Swap Meet coming up. Uh, on the, uh, what is it, SAC 39's coming up up in Wisconsin. That's the middle of the month. That's the big Shelby meet. Too bad. Tonight at 8 o'clock over at Ruth Eckert Hall, Santana's playing from 8 to 10. I wish I could be there for that. But by the time we get done with the show, I spend my usual four, five, six, seven, what, eight hours editing. And, you know, playing around in the production room there, so I'll probably miss it. But that should be exciting, because Carlos Santana in town, that's cool. That's got, you know, like a month and a half ago, whenever it was, we had Greg Raleigh on. So that was kind of cool, too. And, of course, he was, you know, one of the founding members of Santana. But anyway, uh, be sure and check out our events page, because on our events page on our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, there's a lot of upcoming events. We're kind of going in a direction a little bit with uh, musicians and rock stars, because a lot of rock stars, musicians, have a huge interest in cars, motorcycles, you know, some of them airplanes. Let's see how this thing plays out. Uh, be sure to check out our uh, likes page on uh, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, on our Facebook page, and give us a big <laughs> like there. Also, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As a matter of fact, if you go to our likes page on Nostalgic Radio and Cars, uh, usually it's current events, kind of radio show related and stuff like that. Um, that we kind of participate in. Excuse me again. <coughs> you know, I can't shake this cold. This is just, or this cough. This just will not leave me alone. And then um, going back to our uh, Facebook page for Gulfstream Motorsports, what I've started to do with that is I've just kind of incorporated some silly little pictures, you know, like quirky little car stuff or junkers or something odd and unusual that's, um, you know, automotive related. Uh, you know, I even got a pig on there. I don't know why I put the pig on it, but I was walking through this guy's, next to this guy's field to go look at some cars, and his pig just kept following me along this wire fence, and he kept staring at me. So I thought, well, all right, I guess you want a picture. So I took a picture of it. So then I put the picture up there trying to figure out what to do with it, and I thought, hmm, I know. And if you read the caption, it's as if you're looking in a mirror. You know, Ah. mirror, mirror on the wall, you know. It's a cute little pig. Actually, it's not a little pig. It's a big pig. I I had a similar situation once where I took a picture of a cow in a field. Did you? Yeah. It was just, somehow, sometimes they give you just that look, don't they? Yeah, I felt bad. It had a tag in its ear. I was like, oh. Poor guy. We're probably going to eat you later. Yeah. You're thinking hamburger. Yeah. You're thinking filet mignon. Yeah. It might have been a milk cow, but I don't think they put, maybe they, I don't know. I don't either. I don't know much about that. We'll I, look into it. I will tell you this. So my um, my cousins up in Chicago, or south of Chicago, in the farm country down there, uh, they used to raise hogs and cattle and stuff. And my uncle told me one time, he says, Robert, you know, this is a farm. And I know you love eating hamburgers. But I guarantee it, if I ever take you to a slaughterhouse, you will never, never touch a burger or a piece of meat or pork as long as you live. 
So I said, all right, spare me. I won't do that then. You didn't do it? No. I didn't. I see, wasn't now, brave enough. I didn't want. I just didn't want it. And see, I, I can't get the vegetarian thing either. Here's 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 the way that you can un, undo that. If you go to the if you go to the, the slaughterhouse and you're all grossed out and you never want to eat meat again, <laughs> here's here's how you can get back to eating eating meat again. Okay. How's that? <laughs> Try one of those tofu burgers, <laughs> and that ought to, that's pretty disgusting. That's too. disgusting. So, wow, look at this. We went from cars, guitars to hamburgers. See, we talk about everything we're real, on this radio We're show. real Americans. We're cultural. Yes, yeah. we are Americans, and that's the operative word here. We are true Americans. Speaking of Americans, what else we got going on? Oh, yeah, there's this uh, little uh, organization that I'm real good friends with, and check out the website. It's called Close to Kids, and they're located up on Hercules Avenue. And, uh, hey, Cedric, could you see if you can find their phone number real quick so I can give it out? Or you sure. Can give it out. But anyway, let, let me tell you about the, the girls at Close to Kids. These are actually, this was actually started, uh, it's a kind of a charity organization. It was char- started by uh, some girls that I actually went to high school with. And, um, and it's about an organization that basically puts clothes together so twice a year kids in need families in need get a week's worth of clothing so and how this all works it works basically on a donation uh, process so like for example you know guys and gals that have clothes that they may have outgrown and stuff like that are still pretty decent shape uh they donate them okay and then what they do is they take some of the stuff that they can't use and they actually recycle it and then they get these other companies to donate clean fresh brand new Brand spanking new underwear, brand spanking new socks. So the undies are all new, you know, stuff like yeah. that. But the other clothes are used, and you know, a lot of times are pretty decent stuff. Of course, they always ask me, said Robert, do you know guys that have guys' clothes that want to, uh, guys that want to donate clothes? The problem with a guy is, and I'll use myself as an example. I don't care if I bust a, a belt loop or if I rip my pants or whatever. I'm going to wear them till they're shredded, and then when they're shredded, guess what? They turn into grease rags. So it's really hard for a guy to cough up clothes. Uh, because we just wear wear them down to the threads. Like, you're that way too, aren't you? Set? Pretty much. You should see my shoes. Uh, same deal. Yeah. When your I'm gonna, toes, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep uh, my toes are already poking through. I'm gonna keep wearing until the top falls off. Okay. Yep. All right. And then I'll go buy another twenty dollar pair of shoes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like that cartoon. Uh, you know what? I really wish we had a video or audio screen while we're talking, because then we could put up these little goofy little things. You know, like when we're talking, you're like, right now, these cartoons come to mind where the guy's shoe pops loose and the sole goes one direction, yeah. and the cap of the shoe, and all his toes come popping yeah. out of there. So you know, something like that. But uh, anyway, so uh, you know, a lot of car stuff is not uh, not happening. It's all pretty much over with. Of course, two weeks ago they had the big show, uh, the big shindig in Las Vegas, the Shelby thing, and then. Uh, they had, which was the 50th anniversary of the Mustang, and then the week before that, or the same weekend, they had it up in Charlotte. And unfortunately, I had scheduling conflicts, and I couldn't make them both. I couldn't make either of them. But I'll tell you what I did do, because for business reasons and stuff, I had to go out west. So I did tour. Yeah, next week, you're going to be in France. No, not And the no, week no. after that, you're going to be in Australia. I can't, because the, con- the Concorde's broken down. And next <laughs> the week after that, you're going to be in Malaysia search- searching for that uh, Airplane? 777. Yeah. <laughs> the 777- They still haven't found that thing? No. It's in Pakistan, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, we D- Diego, Diego Garcia. <laughs> we won't yeah. go there. Yeah, we're conspiratorials here. At, uh, no. No? No. Not. No. no. You are, I know, there, are not, no, there are no conspiracies there are in no, cars. No, that's right. There's no conspiracy in cars. This is a yeah. car show. But uh, anyway, but I uh, actually was out in LV, and I toured the uh, Shelby factory. And what was really cool, I'd been there before back in the early, I don't know, 1999, 2000, 2001, something like that. And it used to be out by the Las Vegas uh, Motor Speedway. They have since moved down uh, kind of off the Las Vegas Strip, but the south end of it, I guess you would call it, towards 
kind of like uh, on the other side of the airport. And it's a pretty big facility. So what was really cool about it, if you've ever looked at some of the old pictures of the Shelby factory back when they started out in their humble beginnings at Venice, and a lot of the cars were just sitting on jack stands. In fact, last week what we did is we, played, we did a tribute show to, to Tweedy, who was the former team race car painter for Carroll Shelby. And we had Chuck Cantwell on, we had uh, Jerry Schwartz on, we had Bernie Kretschmar. All three of those guys were involved in the GT350 program. Chuck, he was in charge of the uh, GT350 program. And what was interesting, when I was at the factory, it's still, here it is, you know, 60 years later, and they, outside of the fact that they got a little bit more technology, their cars are still pretty much hand-built. I mean, these cars come in from California, or from up north, now they come from Michigan. Back in the day, they came from San Jose. They roll the Mustangs in there. Um, they build a certain amount of spec cars, which would be your GT350s and GT500s and, you know, with your, let's say, five, 600 horsepower. But if you want 800 or 900 or 1,000 horsepower or a wide body, all that stuff is done in-house. And we got to tour all that. It was really cool. Not to mention they had a couple of Cobras sitting there that they were working on, which was kind of neat. So we got to sit in those and play in those and make sound effects and go, wrong, 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 pretend we were, you know, driving big, bad uh you know, uh, big block 427 Cobra. So it was pretty cool, too. So if you ever go out to Las Vegas and you're not really a gambler, which I'm not, and uh, you need to go check out the, the Shelby factory and museum, it's pretty nice experience. It's pretty cool. And uh, while we were out there, we stopped by uh, Danny Coker's from Counting Cars. Uh, Danny was busy doing some shooting, but I talked to Kevin and I talked to Horny Mike. Mike was there. In fact, we took some pictures with him. Then we stopped by Rick Dale over there at uh, American Restorations, and he was busy entertaining uh, all his fans, and then we stopped by uh, Pawn Stars, and of course they were out doing whatever they do. Um, it's funny because a lot of these guys, you don't really really realize how much filming they do. So it's like once they attain this status, they they're just busy filming, not filming, filming, not filming, and they they don't really have a lot of time. And uh, but there's so much filming that goes on because they have to edit so much to get these things down to these half hour shows. And, uh, you know, make sure that they, they, they make a lot of sense. So that's pretty cool. We also ate at Cabo Wabos, which was uh, Sammy Hagar's joint, his, uh, his restaurant that he has there. And, and one of the things we did, to, which was really a lot of fun, which my son and my wife enjoyed truly, immensely, was the uh, Cirque du Soleil Beatles Love uh, Theatrics. That was actually pretty cool. Um, that, I urge anybody to go do that. That's actually held at the Mirage Hotel. So... That's kind of what, uh, but I was out there on business, and then I had to go to uh, Phoenix because I had to do take care of some family stuff as well as some business and stuff. And as usual, you know me, I don't uh, sit around and do nothing. I'm in everybody's shop, so again, here I am. Uh, I've got some really cool pictures of some cars because I was in some, I'm not going to call them junkyards, but I was in uh, shops where there was just tons of cars. And I cannot overemphasize to you guys, I cannot stress the point that out west, you know, Western, uh, Eastern California, actually any part of California, Oregon, Washington, but primarily Arizona, Nevada, uh, uh, West Texas, the cars are rust-free. I mean, truly, they just have a little light surface rust on it. The cars are just solid. I mean, it's worth it to pay the few extra bucks. If you guys want to restore a car, and there's a lot of them out there. I mean, I, you name it, 60s Chevrolet trucks, 60s Chevrolet Cars, 60s Ford trucks, 60s Ford cars, 50s stuff. It's just all over there. They're driving it. I mean, and uh, I would say that in California, they tend to drive the cars more often. I mean, you're, you're more likely to see a car rolling down the interstate or some side street or some highway in the San Francisco Bay Area or San Jose or, or uh, Sonoma County or Petaluma up there or in the L.A. area. Hey, Rob. Yeah? 
Hey, you, you're wrong. You said there were no car shows this weekend. Uh, I said there was one up in Webster. Was there another car show this weekend? Uh, Did Rob, I miss one? Rob just called in and said there's one in downtown Palm Harbor this weekend. Oh, there is. Okay. That's what he said. I haven't looked it up oh, yet. Oh, which reminds me. I forgot about that. Yeah, down in Fort DeSoto this weekend, the Lincoln Club of America. I think it's uh, Lincoln Club of America, so that would be LCA, I guess. It seemed to me it had a different set of initials, but anyway. Yeah, it's the 6th Annual <laughs> Palm Harbor Car Show, May, uh, May 3rd. All proceeds benefit the uh, American Cancer Society. Oh, so, so it's another charity thing. Cool. By the way, hey, did you find that phone number for Close to Kids? I did. Um, what is their number? Let's give their number out for Close to in, Kids. In uh, Clearwater, it's 727-441-5050. And in St. Petersburg, it is 327-7100. And uh, can I get Close? I mean, I'm not a kid, but do you think they'd give me some free clothes? Mm, all right, all right. I don't I won't know. press my luck. You won't press your luck? Okay. But anyway, all right, Bob, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the uh, Lincoln uh, Club of America is having a big Lincoln meet down at Fort DeSoto. And they expect a couple hundred, two, three hundred cars. This is a big deal. It's kind of a regional deal. So regional means like southeast region. And uh, so there'll be anything from who knows. I mean, if uh, if uh, Rick Schmidt and those guys bring some stuff down from National Parts Depot, his father's a huge Lincoln collector. So they might have some stuff all the way back to when Lincoln was initially its inception, which was, I think, 19... Well, Ford took them over, I believe, in 1921. So I think the car came about 1919, 1920. And then Ford basically wanted a kind of a Highline car to kind of compete with Cadillac. Um, so I think the Etzel Ford, which was Ford's son, Henry Ford's son, convinced his dad to buy Lincoln. So hence Lincoln's been a Ford, and that's their flagship car. But anyway, so the the big Lincoln show will be down to Fort Cicero. And, of course, if you need any Lincoln parts, go see our friends up there at Lincoln Land off Hercules Avenue. Cedric, I don't remember the number offhand. I have Chris's cell number, but I don't know the other what number. What is it for? It's called Lincoln Land. They have oh. two locations. they got one on Golf the Bay, and they got one on Hercules. On Golf the Bay, they actually have the retail location, which is kind of cool. they got a showroom with some really nice stuff in there. Chris. Oh, you know what? I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. they've got... Uh, it's... Uh, you need the address? Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, 1928 Sherwood Street, uh, Clearwater, 446-2193. And then the Golf to Bay is 2025 Golf to Bay, uh, 727-443-3646. And if I remember correctly, isn't that like right near the, or right across the street from the 7-Eleven? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, well, that's my my little my little speech for today. We actually have a really interesting guy coming on here in a few minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to another commercial, and then we're going to get our guests on the line. So stick around. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. And I think our first song that we're going to play here real quick is San Francisco by Scott McKenzie. Right? Yeah, 1965 and 66. I think that's when the song came out, right? Uh, I think it came out 60s. Yeah, 65 or 66. But anyway, 67, I think. 67, maybe that's what? Yeah, well, 1967. Okay, true. it was the height of the flower power movement, you know, all the hippie stuff going on in San Francisco. And every time I hear this, it's like, I think he's homesick. Um, but uh, it's a cool song. So, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't go away. We've got some pretty groovy stuff coming on in a great interview.
Hi, I'm Pat Simmons from the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Belladora's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You know, every time I go out west, because I'm from there and I'm used to it, but I have to laugh because uh, the issue of temperature comes up all the time. Now, when we left here, it was hot and muggy and steamy and nasty. And you talk to anybody out here that goes out west, they go, I can't breathe in that weather. You get anybody out west, they come out here and they go, I can't breathe in this weather. This is like, you know, taking a shower and you come out and you're still wet. You know, and really, there is a difference in the dry heat. You know, now I will grant you at 110, 116 in the shade. Okay, you know, your lungs get pretty dried out pretty quick. So you better not uh, walk around without a, a water bottle strapped to your ears or something like that with a big long straw. But uh, it was uh, it was toasty out there, but it wasn't bad. You know, we had a nice breeze. It was pretty cool. Um, I I got a chance to check out the Hoover Dam. I'd never been there before. That was kind of cool. We kind of cut through there, and we kind of whipped on around the Grand Canyon thing. And you know what was really cool? You ever heard the old stories about cowboys sitting around, singing around a campfire? We we actually got to experience that. So we met this guy at this one little, like a dude ranch type thing. And we were coming back. We were leaving the canyon. And uh, it was kind of late in this little dirt road. You know, it's near the, the, the Indian Reservation. And uh, so we grabbed a bike to eat real quick. And they invited us to go sit around the campfire. And I swear, that's exactly what they did. There's about four or five guys with guitars there. They're all cowboys. They're all singing. There's like little, these, these little bungalows. It was really cool. It was just kind of like, wow, this is America. And the sky was dark 
pitch blue, and you can see stars and stars and stars. It was really, really cool. Hey, before I get too far into this conversation, which I'm going to say this for another time, we got a guest coming on. Let's fire up the turntable here. Let's play this other cool, groovy song from another Bay Area band out of the, out of, uh, the 60s that was uh, from my neck of the woods, San Francisco, San Jose area. This uh, band is called Quicksilver Messenger. Service. service right and the song is fresh air this was a popular song back in the day yes it was and uh hey stick around you're tuning into nostalgic radio and cars we got our guests coming on in a few minutes do not leave do not change that channel Groovy song
This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on Westway Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090 that's 727-501-9090 they truly have the best smoking barbecue in town oh and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce that's the rib shack barbecue in downtown largo 727-501-9090 i'm telling robert from nostalgic radio and car sent you I've made a, a lot of westerns in my time, but never one like The War Wagon. The War Wagon is a story about friendship and understanding. You're worth 12,000 to me. Dead. And 100,000 alive. The War Wagon is a story of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Offers you a little action. Generosity. Oh. <laughs> a little fighting. The war wagon is a story of humility. Mine hit the ground first. Mine was taller. In addition to Kirk Douglas, we have Howard Keel, a mighty colorful Indian, Robert Walker, an expert with high explosives, Keenan Wynn, <laughs> Joanna Barnes, what's your pleasure? Stud. And good old Bruce Cabot. I want Todd Jackson dead. Keep your eyes off of my wife! Your wife? Oh, I thought she was your daughter. What's the age? A drunk kid and a crazy old man. How the hell did I get out, all of you? I didn't bring you here to be the best of friends. We're an inch away from gunning each other down, but first we have to take the war away. Well, that's what this picture is all about. How a handful of men can work up the guts and ingenuity to tackle a fortress on wheels. Hi, this is Dave Jenkins with the Pablo Cruz Band. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman's been on our show before, and he will probably be here 
many more times to come in the future. He's a serious car collector. He owns one of the finest wine vineyards in the Sonoma County. But more importantly, he is the manager of the legendary band, the Doobie Brothers. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Bruce Cohn. Bruce, are you there? I am here. How you How doing? Are you? You're in California right now, right? I am in sunny, hot California. It's 90 today, which is very early okay. for that kind of heat up here in Northern Cal, where we are, you know, in Sonoma County. But um, it's uh, just breaking winter in a lot of places, I guess, <laughs> but we're way ahead of the curve. Well, what's the weather like now? you got a place up in Idaho, too, right? Yeah, I have a lake home uh, that we go to in the summer up there at Coeur d'Alene area. It's a really pretty area, and... We get the little fishing in and so forth. You know, it's fun. Tell us about... You guys uh, have fishing down there, too, don't we you? Got, we have fishing, we have boating, yeah. we have water skiing. Yeah, we're yeah. kind of like, uh, we're like, we're like uh, a peninsula. You're used to 90 degrees. Well, yeah, it's 90, but, you know, I just mentioned that earlier because I was out west here uh, last week, and and being from California, I'm used to the dry climate. You come here, yeah. <coughs> and this is damp. This is like you're still in the shower, still in the steam room all the time. It's bad. I spent June and July there last year in Florida, and that was the hottest, muggiest time I'd spent since I lived in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you're not used to the humidity once you live in the dry climate, and it's even harder, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because when they come from from our area, from dry heat to wet heat, or this damp stuff, uh, you know, they don't get it, and then vice versa. But uh, I'll take the dry heat any day. Well, the grapes like this heat out here. We make good wine when it's dry, and they're calling it a drought, and the grapes will love it, you know, because that's what they best wines are made in the droughts. Now, take us through the process a little bit. How does that work now? You you mentioned that. Okay, so the best wines are made in the drought. We actually have vineyards in Florida, so but not a lot, but not like they do in the Sonoma Valley. So what makes Sonoma area, and particularly where you're at, because I think you were telling me once that like you could be on one side of the mountain and have one type of grape, and you can be on the other side of the mountain and have another type of grape. Well, it's microclimates, and what's, the main thing about grapes is they don't like rain, when they're leafed out and growing grapes, because it can cause mildew and and uh, ruin different kinds of grapes. You know, have different like the tight bunch grapes, like a Pinot Noir. When the water gets inside them from a rain, they kind of mildew from the inside out. So the reason it's good out here in Na- Sonoma, Napa, and Mendocino counties is because we rarely, if ever, have a rain for the growing season. And uh, that's what's important. Plus, the main thing is we're close to the ocean, Pacific Ocean here, and we get we may get ninety degree days. We could even get hundred degree days sometimes. But at night, this coastal air comes in and cools it down to about fifty five degrees. So we have a about a forty degree spread in temperature from morning, you know, from daytime to nighttime. And that's what does makes the quality of the flavors in the grapes, too, is the cooling of the nighttime for the vines to recover, and then the daytime being hot. And not too many places do that. Uh, most places that are hot stay hot at night. What and makes- that's what makes our wine grapes here uh, different and better. 
How does it compare to, let's say, like, you know, you always hear about French wines, but it seems like for decades that I know of, the California wines have pretty much uh, been like the wines to drink. Well, California has just more consistent weather. And the thing about French wines and Italian wines in, in Europe is they'll have some stellar years, but they'll have some terrible years because the weather is more like a roller coaster. And they have some very cold summers. And, you know, two out of five, sometimes, you know, three or four out of seven vintages will be good. Where California, I've been now making wine. Well, I've had the vineyards for 40 years, and I've been making wine for 30, and I have never had a bad vintage. You know, what you would consider in Europe a bad vintage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The weather is just too consistent here. Some years are better than others, but we don't ever dip down to the kind of winter, I mean, summer, that Europe would have in a bad year. So that's the difference. Okay. Now, tell us a little bit about how you go from a drag drag racing to managing a rock and roll band to a vineyard. Take us through that process a little bit. Well, I don't know, man. You just throw a dart and that's me, you know. Okay. Um, I never planned anything that really I've done. I've more or less had opportunities, and when I got into them, I really worked hard and applied myself. But, you know, I started out as a kid loving cars, as you know, building cars at 16, 17. By out of high school, I was racing, you know, 19, I was driving fuel dragsters at almost 200 miles an hour, which was fast then. And uh, building street hot rods, and you know, I was a gearhead, and still am <laughs> in my hobby now. Uh-huh. And uh, it was my lifestyle. And then that was in the '60s. Then, of course, Flower Power and Ada Ashbury started in San Francisco, where I was living, and kind of changed things dramatically. And music started to really come out of San Francisco, as you know, with uh, the Grateful Dead and Janis Joplin and Buddy Miles and, you know, Santana and Creedence Clearwater and you name it. Moby Grape. (laughs) Yeah, Moby. And that's how I met the Doobies was through the drummer of Moby Grape, Skip Spence, brought him into the studio where my brother was engineering, and that's how we met. And uh, that was in 1969. And, uh, you know, Moby Grape never got popular, but was a cult band. But they really started the California sound that was that of the Beach Boys and uh, that type of era. And uh, the Eagles and the Doobie Brothers all were in that same realm as Moby Grape. But Moby Grape never made it, really, into the mainstream and uh, but they were of a real uh, you know effect on a lot of musicians uh, that went ahead to make it and um, anyway so during that time um, I gravitated into uh, communications I got a degree at in radio and television in college 
which was an on-the-air radio and TV kind of thing, and uh, so I learned about all that, and my brother did the same, and it was really my brother that dragged me into the music business, Marty. My brother always wanted to be a record producer or an engineer, and he passed away a couple of years ago, And, and uh, but I really owe it to him to have the opportunity to uh, be doing what I'm doing today, because he was the one that really had the desire. I was more working on my cars and my motorcycles and building hot rods and and he kept saying, Come on, let's go do let's go get, let's do this and let's do that and it's a beautiful day, needs a place to rehearse and, and sea train and blue cheer and all oh. these local Bay Area bands and so I we opened a rehearsal hall in San Francisco in sixty eight and uh you know, I met a lot of the bands through that. And then my brother went to work at a recording studio uh, down near San Jose, and that's when I met, and Skip Spence brought the Dewey's in to the studio. And I happened to be there. I was driving my 29 Ford that day. I used to race down on, you know, El Camino and go down and see him. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, one thing led to another. They wanted to get a record deal, and my brother cut a demo of some songs, sent them to Warner Brothers in L.A., and we got interest, and about a year later, we got a record deal. And uh, away we went. (laughs) Here I am, you know? There's a long story, which you can't tell on the radio. You know, it would take a month, but uh, someday I'll write a book or something, maybe, and if I can remember anything by then. (laughs) The gray matter's still there, you know? But uh, it was... uh, it's been 43 years with the band so far, and they're still going strong. Now they're and I'm tou- managing them. Yeah. Now they're touring again. Do they do they do that every year, or do they take a, a couple um, every couple year? Year? No, every they, year? They're not a. They don't take off like the Rolling Stones or like you know uh, Bruce Springsteen, the great big acts. They can't go around every year and play, but the Doobies because they just do major markets and because they draw. You know, a lot of people. The Doobies have been huge and done major market touring and still do. But the Doobies are great because they can play any market, whether it's what we call an A market or a B market or a C market. And the band could work every day of the year if they wanted. Of course, they can't physically keep up like that these days. So in the days we were doing 150 shows a year when we were. 22 and now we're but now at 65 they're still doing 85 shows a year so it's pretty strong and they do it every year now as a manager what exactly kind of tell us what the manager's role is basically i mean do you get involved with you know the production of the songs do you contribute uh any ideas to the music do you uh, you know orchestrate um, you know the venues and and where they're going to play. I mean, just kind of take us through the process a little bit. Well, well, every manager is different. First of all, okay. Not every manager has the same fortes or the same desires or the same abilities. So, not every manager. Some roles are the same for all managers, but a lot of managers vary what they do do and what they don't do. Um, in my case, you know, I started out with them. I knew the Santana guys when they started out, and I managed one band out of high school when I was a kid, 
that uh, turned out to be great players that went on to other bands to become famous, which was Neil Sean, which went on to Santana, and then Journey as a guitar player, and Corey Larios, who became Pablo Cruz's uh, keyboard player, was in the band I managed in high school, and Stevie Nicks was the lead singer. No kidding. So, wow. Yeah, so that was, you know, but nobody at 16 could write a song, so that band didn't go anywhere. But that's where we all started, and we all went to different bands and came back as, you know, being involved with something successful. And um, I kind of did everything because the band Doobie Brothers trusted me as like a friend. And I didn't know that much when I started. I had not been a manager for years, and, and they... So I learned as I went, but I did a lot more than most managers because I didn't know any limitations, you know what I mean? I, right. I invested all their money. I started a pension profit-sharing plan for them in 1972, which no one ever heard of. And this was just stuff that I wasn't brilliant. I just saw things from a different angle, you know what I mean? I was not necessarily coming from the music business. I was coming from outside, mm -hmm. and I had different mentors and different people that I listened to that told me things I could do that were out of the, the Grateful Dead told me, oh, God, you're a corporate manager, you know, your band's like a corporation, and I said, well, your, your manager's in Mexico spending all your money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're investing in commercial real estate, <laughs> you know, but it's it's just what I did and and mm -hmm. I don't do it anymore because they're all sophisticated now these guys and but in those days until they broke up for a while in 82 I did everything I was their business manager I was their I did sound for them for seven years I did lights I did uh, booking <laughs> I did you know their publishing their investing everything and then I slimmed it down as we got older and smarter, and they did. And they broke up for six years, and I sold all the real estate investments, and the pension plan was vested to each guy individually. And that's why they could take six years off and actually just rest after 12 albums in a row and 40 million records and thousands of concerts. They were burnt. And they took six years off and I went on to manage you know Night Ranger and Bruce Hornsby and Ambrosia and some other acts in the 80s and and they took a break and then they we put them back together in 89 and they've been going straight ever since with the original they started with the original band back in 89 and they've played every year since then 85 shows 80 to 85 shows I mean, that's, you know, really, uh, my hat's off to you, Bruce, you know, because, you know, you you were like their best friend, too. You really looked out for the band as well. You know, I mean, you've heard so many right. stories where these guys are broke, you know, and they're once their popularity is gone and, and they're living on the streets. I mean, it's sad. But, the, oh, but I've, met, I've seen it. I've, and that's what that's what spurred me. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a quick story real fast. I'll make it short. I bought my first house in 1972 when listen to music hit okay and we I finally we got off of food stamps and brown rice and <laughs> we we're making 200 bucks a night in the clubs and all of a sudden we started to make some real money with the hit record listen to the music and i bought a house in marin county like 
most of the musicians did it. In those days, the house was $33,000, right? Mm -hmm. That was a lot of money then. And I bought this little house, and there was a musician living there who didn't own it. He was renting it. And they wouldn't move out. And I had 90 days after the close, I was trying to get in. And I went over and knocked on the door one day to see if I could get in and start fixing it up, because it was pretty bad shape. And the guy that answered the door was like this skinny guy with a beard and barefooted, you know, hippie. And and he said, well, we're going to move Wednesday. Don't worry, we're out of here. And I said, okay, okay. And he said, do you want to come in and look around? I said, I haven't seen it in months, and I'd like to see what I have to do. And so he took me around and showed me the house. And there was nothing in it. The cabinets were falling off the walls, and it was bad. And But I see, like, thousands of dollars of musical instruments in the living room with, like, road cases, you know, big professional road cases. I said, geez, where, are you in the music? You know, I told him I was managing the Doobie Brothers, and I bought the house. And he said, well, I used to be in a band. And I said, really? I said, uh, he said, uh, can I play you some songs? <laughs> I said, well, okay. And I said, what band? And he said, well, I was, he introduced himself as Peter Torkelson. And I didn't get it, but it was Peter Tork from the Monkees. Oh, no, really? How yeah. cool is that? After the Monkees. Uh-huh. And he was playing for 10 bucks a night in San Francisco at a club. Oh, after sad. After Yeah, see? So when I saw that, and I saw some of the guys in Santana end up broke after a big career because they didn't manage their money. Those examples are what made me do what I did for the Doobies. Mm-hmm. And that was my example of what not to do, is to you know come out with nothing. And fear, it was based on fear of being, you know, I thought the band would last about five or seven years, like most bands. Uh-huh. I had no idea we'd be in business 43 years. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But even so, it's a great thing that I did so they could take time off and take a breather and not have to work and use the money they had stored up, or, you know, from those investments I did. So that's what, but most managers don't get involved in that. And really, they don't want to because it's a big responsibility. But because the Doobies and I have always been equal partners, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If there's nine guys in the band, we split nine ways. If there was three guys in the band, we split four ways. You know, that's just the way it is. And uh, so I, what I was doing for them, I was doing for us. That's super. That's commendable. Let me ask you this. Like, for example, like the record deals and stuff like that. Were you savvy back in those days to make sure that you guys got the the you know royalties and, and the residuals and stuff like that? Because you always hear stories where, you know, the guys weren't getting anything. So, and is that... Well, that was in the 50s. Like, you know, the early artists um, that were the forefront, you know, the Bob Dylans, um, the... Chuck Berry's, those chubby checkers, those early artists didn't get hardly any record royalties, if they got any. It was a different mindset. You were lucky to be on a label. You made records, you had hit records, and you went on the road and you made your money on the road, and the record company made all the money on the records. That's the way it was in the 50s. In the 60s, 
we started to get people started to get smarter and Ray Charles was the first to demand that he owned his own masters and it's in the movie if you saw the movie about Ray Charles life that's a pivotal point in records in the record business when he demanded to own his masters that was huge that was unheard of in music in those days but Ray was way smarter than most people know and he said take it or leave it I'm not you're not keeping my songs you know you can rent them <laughs> okay makes sense yeah and in the, even into the 70s we couldn't do that people the record companies were so strong arming you want the deal we own the masters you have a rescission you may be able to re-record them in seven years but we still own the masters that we create in perpetuity forever hmm. so now for the first time in 40 years the doobies have gone in and recut their original hits first time all the years that you've heard these records on the radio like china grove and what a fool believes and Blackwater and uh long train running and rocking down the highway and you name it taking it to the streets all those songs are owned by the record company okay now we've gone back and re-recorded them for another label but we leased them the songs so they don't own them for the new masters forever i got you that makes sense yeah so you get smarter as time goes on but you know, I learned fast, as fast as I could. And, uh, you know, I negotiated their record deal. It didn't come up until 1977. We signed in 70, and it was a, it was a seven-year deal. And I negotiated for two years with the, the CEO of Warner Brothers, Mo Austin, to re-up their deal. And uh, it took two years to make the deal, and he... He wrote a big check because he didn't know if Michael McDonald was going to be successful as the new singer for the Doobie Brothers when Tommy Johnson left, and he was biding his time. And I was planning, I was biding my time, saying he's going to be big, and he was. So Mo had to pay because <laughs> <laughs> I won. <laughs> so he wrote checks for mil- he wrote checks for millions because of that. But we talk about it still. Mo's a great guy and. And he's a shrewd negotiator. He was Frank Sinatra's CPA. So, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. A little experience. So Moe's, Moe's, he's hard to deal with because he's a CPA, too. You know, it's, it was two years, honestly, of negotiating. So um, you learn as you go, and hopefully uh, you're only as strong as your artist for negotiating. Mm-hmm. Really. Now, speak- no matter what you know. You know, if you got Bruce Springsteen, you can get a good deal, you know? I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. All right, now, the Doobie Brothers are doing the concert. Now, when they're, they're, they're uh, who determines the venue? Is that is that part of your deal, too? Or is that, uh, they have, is there somebody else that well, comes? Well, here's how it works. We got a couple, we got a couple have, minutes left. Okay, we have a booking agency. Right. Paradigm happens to be, I've had the same booking agent for 42 years. Dan Weiner and Fred Bolander are my two responsible agents and we don't change much as you can see and when we have the right 
chemistry. You know, we had one producer that did 12 records in a row in 12 years, Ted Templeman. Uh-huh. So when, we're, when we feel the chemistry's right, we don't change. A lot of artists make big mistakes and for different reasons change the chemistry by changing the people that represent them, whether it be a producer, a manager, a booking agent, whatever it might be, publisher. And they screw themselves up because they have a winning team and they try to do something different and it doesn't work. In this case, we've stayed with it. Anyway, long story short, um, we basically, uh, I forgot what I was going to tell you. I have a point to make. About, about sticking together and staying with the same guys. Yeah, so what happens is the booking agent is the liaison from the promoters. And the promoters call the booking agency and say, uh, booking agent, I want to buy the Doobie Brothers for um, Tampa, Florida, and it's a 3,000-seater, and the gross is... Uh, Hundred and forty nine thousand, and I'll pay the band seventy. And the agent calls me and says, "Here, I've got this date. I've got another date to go with it in Orlando, and I've got a date in St. Pete. And then uh, we can do the three. You know, they route. They can do it on the bus. We can, so many miles. We can do a day, and all three are you know whatever the price is, and." I go to the band and I say, here's these offers. Uh, and they email me and say, yeah, good, take them. Okay. Or no, I got something I got to do that day, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, or my daughter's getting married, which just, you know, happened just this year. Or I'm going on a motorcycle ride. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> okay. Which happens too, you know? And that's fine. Because at this point, after 43 years, who cares? Have fun. You know, it's lucky we're still doing it. So if you want to go on a motorcycle ride, God bless. Go. Uh-huh. You know, we'll do. There's more dates. We'll do. We'll do other dates. You know, we're lucky that the band has worked so hard over the years and put on such consistent shows for audiences that they know every time they go to see the Doobie Brothers, they're going to get everything the band's got. You know what I mean? A good, just like. I keep bringing up Springsteen, but he's the same way. You go to see Springsteen, he's going to put on 110% of his energy in that show. Mm-hmm. That's just the way he is, right? Right. Some bands go on, they can't even stand up, you know, and <laughs> play. But what I'm saying is the Doobie's work ethic is strong. That's super. To this day. So, and the audience knows that they're going to hear the hits, they're going to hear some new stuff, but they're going to hear every hit they've probably ever done that night and these guys are going to be blazing as hard as they can blaze you know and because of that they can play anywhere over and over and the audience has come back and thank god they do or <laughs> we'd be out of business <laughs> well bruce i want to thank you really yeah. a lot for coming on we need to get you on again because i want to go more and more in detail on this thing hopefully with a little luck we'll have pat simmons on here maybe in the future but uh, they're, they're, he just flew in from Australia. He's a little jet lag. That's cool. That's cool. No problem. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, um, and well, I, also I wanted to plug your uh, your fall festival charity show. What? Um, Thank you. That's this. What's the dates on it, real quick? September twenty twenty one, and we get a lot of people from Florida actually coming out. Uh, we do uh, four days actually: a dinner day with a you know auction, and then two festival days with ten acts. 
And uh, we've got some great acts this year, as usual. And then the golf tournament finishes it off. And uh, it's 19 to 22 of September. Come. Wow. I'm going to try to be there. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Be sure and tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports and now music. Don't forget to tell your friends to tune in as well. Be sure and check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, go to our website and check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Gulfstream Motorsports. I want to thank my special guest, Bruce Cohn, manager of the Doobie Brothers. Don't forget, they will be here this Sunday, May 4th at Ruth Eckert Hall. Hope to see you guys at some of these concerts and car shows. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. But there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.